Okay, hello everybody, including those at the hub. Welcome back. Uh, let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for your word. The word written down, your word come to life. Help us now focus on the word. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. So it's the Christmas uh, season again. And you may know that in the Christian uh, calendar, there are two great festivals, Christmas and Easter. Before each festival, there's a period of preparation. So the season of preparation before Easter is called Lent, traditionally a time of self-denial. The season of preparation before Christmas is called Advent. Advent. And today is the first Sunday in Advent. Advent comes from two Latin words meaning to come. And there are four Sundays in Advent. So Advent, if you need to have four Sundays in Advent, Advent only begins on 1st December when Christmas is on a Wednesday. So since today is 1st December, you know already that this year, 25th December, will be on a Wednesday. Traditionally, Advent was a time of fasting so that Christians could focus on the coming of Jesus. So even today, Christians in the Eastern Orthodox Church refrain from certain foods this month, depending on the day. So this Sunday, today for example, our brothers and sisters in the Orthodox Church cannot eat meat, eggs, and dairy products. On Wednesday, 4th December, they also have to abstain from fish. The Wednesday after that, 11th December, the Orthodox Christians cannot have meat, fish, oil, wine, eggs, and dairy products. It's all rather difficult to remember. But nowadays, they have websites and phone apps uh, to help. We Protestants, however, have thrown all of this out of the window. Come Advent, we are ready to party and feast. We decorate Christmas trees. Right? We start buying presents. We eat turkeys. We eat lock cakes. We kiss under the mistletoe. And we even start dreaming of a white Christmas. Now some of you may already know that many of these Contemporary Christian practices actually have pagan roots. That, that is, they originated from ancient polytheistic religions way before Christianity. For example, this practice of hanging up mistletoe and kissing under it. When I was a schoolboy and heard about this practice, I was very keen to try it out. I never got the chance. But where did this practice come from? Mistletoe is a parasitic plant, and the story has to do with the Norse goddess Frigga. When Frigga gave birth to the sun god Baldur, Frigga made every plant and every animal promise not to harm Baldur. But Frigga overlooked the mistletoe. Maybe it was too young or too unimportant to take the oath. And one day all the Norse gods were having fun throwing things at Baldur to show how invulnerable he was. 
the troublemaking god, Loki, also known as Red Loki, decided to make mischief. You all know in Hollywood, Loki is whose brother? Thor's brother. But in the original Norse mythology, Loki was Odin's blood brother. Anyway, Loki took advantage of this mistletoe oversight. Loki went and fashioned a spear out of the mistletoe. And he tricked the blind god Hod into throwing it at Baldur. And Hod was the god of darkness in winter. It turns out he was also Baldur's brother. Long story short, Baldur died. And his death brought winter into the world. So finally, the gods restored Baldur to life to bring back summer and spring in the sun. After which, Frigga pronounced the mistletoe sacred, ordering that from now on, it should bring love rather than death into the world. And after that, the ancient Druids and later the Romans thought that mistletoe had great healing powers. And all of you who've read Asterix comics, get a fix the Druid. He goes up the trees to gather mistletoe. Eventually, the custom developed of kissing under mistletoe as a symbol of peace and goodwill. How about Christmas trees and lock cakes? Well, I wrote something about that in the church's December newsletter. So go and read that, please. I said that 300 years ago in England, the Puritans under Oliver Cromwell banned Christmas trees. They also banned the character Father Christmas, also known as Santa Claus or Saint Nicholas. This plum chappy is really the amalgamation of several personalities one of which was a 4th century bishop of Myra named Nicholas, the patron saint of children. He was born in Patara on the southern coast of what is now today uh, Turkey. And there are many stories about Saint Nicholas. One story tells of a poor man with three daughters. He had no money for any dowry. And without a dowry, his daughters were not about to get married. So Saint Nicholas heard about this poor man. And so mysteriously, on three different occasions, a bag of gold appeared in the poor man's house, providing the necessary dowries. The bags of gold, tossed through an open window, are said to have landed in the stockings or shoes left before the fire to dry. And so this led to the custom of children hanging up stockings, putting out shoes in, in Europe, eagerly awaiting gifts from St. Nicholas. And when the Dutch brought St. Nicholas over to the New World, to America, St. Nicholas, or in Dutch, St. Nicholas, slowly became Santa Claus, and finally Santa Claus, the gift giver. And like Santa Claus, the practice of giving gifts at Christmas has several roots. For example, the Romans had a week-long festival called Saturnalia, the topsy-turvy festival. Everybody would switch roles for the week. The Roman legion, for example, the legate, the legion general, would become a soldier and serve the men. The youngest soldier, he would take over the role of the tribune for a week. Everybody partied and exchanged gifts. And after Saturnalia, there was a feast day for the invincible sun god, Saul Invictus, 
And this was on 25th December. Now, the early Christians did not celebrate the birth of Christ on 25th December, if they celebrated it at all. When the early Christians did celebrate the birth of Christ, they did so on 6th January, which we today call Epiphany. Epiphany commemorates the visit of the wise men. Only in the Orthodox Church is the birth of Jesus still celebrated on 6th or 7th January. There are a couple of reasons for this. One is that the Orthodox Church uses the old Julian uh, calendar, which is about two weeks behind the current Gregorian calendar that we use. The other reason is that in 354 AD, Bishop Liberius of Rome fixed the date of Christmas as 25th December. He did this to replace the Roman festival Sol Invictus um, with a holy communion service, the Mass of Christ, or Christ's Mass, or Christmas. So you can argue that in Christmas, we have a Christian festival that is not celebrated on the original date, a festival that is peppered with non-Christian elements. But who cares? We are going to celebrate it nevertheless and eat lots and spend lots of money. In the midst of this, it is so easy to forget the real focus of Christmas, Jesus. And not just the baby Jesus in the manger. Advent calls us to not only remember how Jesus was born into the world, but also calls us to allow Jesus into our lives now and to prepare for that time in the future when Jesus will come again into the world as God and King, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now this first Sunday in Advent, we have the story of how the birth of John the Baptist was foretold. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. Let me read it out for you. So Luke chapter 1, reading from verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him, an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been answered, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. 
and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and, and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of God. <coughs> this is a strange passage for Advent because it doesn't mention Jesus at all. In fact, if you were to look at Luke chapter 1, for the first 30 verses, there's no mention of Jesus. Luke is going to tell us but how the miraculous birth of Jesus was foretold. He's going to tell us about that fantastic birth. But Luke knows he has to prepare his readers. And so he begins with this story of a couple way past childbearing age, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was no high priest. He was no dignitary he was no mega church pastor. He was a rural priest who lived in a small town in the hill country. He didn't even live in Jerusalem. He only went to Jerusalem when it was the turn of his division to serve in the temple and perform the liturgy. So in today's story, Zechariah was chosen to go burn incense in the inner court of the temple while the people waited outside. And there inside the temple, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah to tell him that he would be given a son, John, who will fulfill the biblical promises of God sending someone to prepare Israel for the coming of the Lord. So in literally the last two verses of the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, written 400 years earlier, God said he would send Elijah the prophet, and I quote, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And now, 400 years later, 400 years after Malachi, Gabriel tells Zechariah that his son John will play the part of Elijah. John will be the one to go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. John is the one who will make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What is Zechariah's first reaction? He doesn't believe it. He asks for a sign. I suppose that's understandable. I mean, if you came into church one day to pray, and suddenly someone appeared at the side of the communion table and said, you're going to have a son, you would ask for some proof also. But look at it from Gabriel's point of view. Gabriel, he is an archangel who stands in the presence of God in heaven. Gabriel, who spoke to Daniel in Babylon hundreds of years before Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9. And now this country priest says, how can I be sure what you say? Gabriel says, okay, you don't believe me? Never mind. Here is your sign, you won't be able to speak until your son is born. And that's the comedy in this story. Because when Zechariah comes out, he tries to tell the people what happened, but he can't speak. So, imagine playing charades. How are you going to act out what happened? Next time, when you play charades, act out. The angel Gabriel appeared to me and told me that my wife will get pregnant and I have a son, I'm going to call him John. He will be the next Elijah. Try acting that out. How do you even describe an angel with just your hands? I mean, you do this for the wings, people think you saw a bird. (laughs) Zechariah can't do it. So nobody knows what he saw or what the prophecy was. All they know is something supernatural happened because Zechariah can't speak. And of course, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And that's very important because in her culture then, women were expected to have children. I know a little bit about how Zechariah and Elizabeth must have felt. People ask me how long I have been married. And when I tell them, 21 years, what do you suppose the next question is? It's always, how many children do you have? It is not, do you have children? But, how many? I don't have children. It was worse for Elizabeth and Zechariah. Because in their culture in those days, childless women were mocked. Something had to be wrong with you if you didn't have kids. So that's why Elizabeth says at the end of this story, the Lord has done this for me. Right? In a different Bible version, it says, in these days he has taken away my disgrace among the people. In the version we have, English Standard Version, he has looked on me to take away my reproach. Can you feel her joy and relief? Finally, she's pregnant. And that is part of the hope in this story. Yes, God's promises and purposes will be fulfilled. All his grand plans will come to pass. God will come to save us. God did come to save us. But God will also work through ordinary people, doubting people, country people, people like us people like you, and all your needs, all your hopes, your desires, they are not forgotten. 
God will take care of you because He loves you. The Bible says He numbers even the hairs on our heads. He loves all of us. He knows what we go through. He knows when we can't have children. He knows when you have lost your job. When money is tight, He knows your trouble at work, your problem with relationships in the family, your pain and grief, your loneliness. He knows when you can't feast or afford presents at Christmas. The Bible says, Jesus is going to come again and then everything will be set right. All our pain and anguish, our tears, our reproach, our disgrace, all will be taken away. The question is, how are we preparing for that coming? Are we just ordering lock cakes, setting up Christmas trees? Are we only exchanging presents now? Or are we allowing Jesus into our hearts and lives now? Are we making ourselves a people prepared for the Lord, ready for His return? This Advent season, as we celebrate Christmas, maybe you could think about what you can do to make this about Jesus. Who can you touch with His love? To whom can you show God's grace? I'm not saying we give up all our practices because I do like a chocolate lock cake. But maybe in addition to what we usually do, we can ask, how can we help make ready for the Lord a people prepared? Let's take a minute now to think about that. In your own situation, in your own condition, your time, your place, wherever you are, is there someone, some people you can show grace to, some people you can turn to the Lord, someone you can pray for, is there something you can do this Advent season to focus on Jesus? Maybe commit to spending every day uh, in prayer for 15 minutes. Maybe apologizing for something you did. What is it you can do this Advent season? Let's think about it now. How can we help make ready for the Lord a people prepared? Will you pray with me, please? Mighty God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son Jesus into our world to share our pain, our lives, our hopes, our dreams. We thank you that you know everything about us. And so, Lord, we put everything in your hands. We ask you, Lord, to just Hold us close with your grace and peace. Comfort us to fill us with your presence. And we pray, Lord, that you help us every day to be more like Jesus. Every day, Lord, you help us be the people you want us to be. And every day, Lord, we might be able to do something to change this world for the better, to bring this world to you 
to prepare this world for your return. Use us, Lord, to do even a small thing for your kingdom while we can. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and King. Amen. Thank you.